Uh, we're going to read from Proverbs 11, starting at verse 14. Um, it's on the screen, and please feel free to follow on uh, your own copy. So Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14. Without guidance, a people will fall, but with many counsellors, there is deliverance. If someone puts up security for a stranger, he will suffer for it. But the one who hates such agreements is protected. A gracious woman gains honour, but violent people gain only riches. A kind man benefits himself, but a cruel person brings ruin on himself. The wicked person earns an empty wage but the one who sows righteousness, a true reward. Genuine righteousness leads to life, but pursuing evil leads to death. Those with twisted minds are detestable to the Lord, but those with blameless conduct are his delight. Be assured that a wicked person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will escape. A beautiful woman who rejects good sense is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. The desire of the righteous turn out well, but the hope of the wicked leads to wrath. One person gives freely, yet gains more. Another withholds what is right, only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched, And the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. People will curse anyone who hoards grain, but a blessing will come to the one who sells it. The one who searches for what is good seeks favour, but if someone looks for trouble, it will come to him. Anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. The one who brings ruin on his household will inherit the wind, and a fool will be a slave to someone whose heart is wise. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, but a cunning person takes lives. If the righteous will be repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and sinful. to be with you here this morning. Hopefully you can hear me. There we go. Uh, my name's Isaac. I'm one of the assistant uh, ministers here at our church. Uh, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to looking at uh, work and money today. And the sermon today, it's a little bit different because the book of Proverbs is a little bit different as well. So as we get stuck into it, it might feel like a lot of Bible verses just sort of smushed together. Uh, and I'm okay with that. That's all right. Um, you might miss details and that's okay. Hopefully there'll be sayings, there'll be proverbs that stand out to you as we read. 
Uh, and each one of the ones I read will be up on the screen, so you might be able to use that as a bit of a reference. You can write down ones that grab your attention, and during the week you might be able to reflect a bit more on those. Because they are, they're massive topics, as we've already seen. Work takes up so much of our lives. Money takes up so much of our minds. So that's where we're heading to today. And here's what we'll be doing. We'll be looking at the goodness of each of these topics, the problems related, and how we might redeem money and work in light of Jesus. So that's where we're heading to today. We'll start with the topic of work, the goodness of work as we read in the book of Proverbs. You can see there, Proverbs 11, God delights in work that's done right. He says, dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord, but an accurate weight is his delight. We have a God who notices when you follow the rules, when you follow the workplace rules. We have a God who cares. And on the flip side, if you go against those rules, if you cut the corners, well, God notices that as well. See, ethical work, it delights our God. And in a similar way, diligent work pleases the Lord. As Ian's already kind of shared with us what diligence has looked like in his workplace. And I think that was the thing that really stood out to me. As I scanned through the book of Proverbs, looking at work, diligence, over and over again. That is the primary instruction to us. Like this one here, Proverbs 10. Idle hands make one poor. But diligent hands bring riches. Or Proverbs 12. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. So you can imagine the Peter Pan kind of guy, head up in the clouds, all the ideas in the world. It makes sense that somebody like that might not be able to make ends meet, but somebody who works hard at their job, it will result in abundant food for them. See, it's incredible that we live in this generally ordered world where good, hard, diligent work is rewarded. Now, for many of us here, diligence might be a real challenge. If you've had a history of procrastination or laziness, well, this is a skill that you can actually grow in, in diligence. And one thing you might be able to do, you might be able to notice a friend that you have who is maybe a little bit more organized or a bit on top of certain area of life that you would like to grow in and have a chat with them. Ask for some skills about how to grow in this area. That would be a great thing to do today. So we looked at the goodness of work, but what are some problems that Proverbs shows us where we're often lazy? Proverbs 19, it says, The slacker buries his hand in the bowl. He doesn't even bring it back to his mouth. We're supposed to laugh at it. It's ridiculous. Like, okay, uh, a packet of Doritos is sitting there. They're kind of on the couch. It's deep in there. They don't even have the energy to kind of put it into their mouth. They're just done. And, and the food that usually gives us energy so that we can work, well, it's, it's sapping to this slacker, to this sloth. Again, about another slacker. Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. Even ants are diligent. Even ants can organize themselves and prepare and gather. So 
would we be ashamed by a measly little ant? But you might ask yourself, what's, what's so wrong with just a little bit more rest, a little bit more of a sleep in? Well, we're reminded in Proverbs that a, a mentality of laziness and slothfulness, well, poverty can come for those who follow down that path of excess. See, laziness, it lulls us to sleep with this soothing song of excuses and excuses to stay and to rest. We tell ourselves how we just need a little bit more Netflix, a little bit more YouTube, a little bit more Instagram, a little bit more of a rest. But credit to the slacker, though. They come up with some genius ways to get out of work. Uh, Here we go, Proverbs 26. The slacker says, there's a lion in the road, a lion in the public square. You can imagine the slacker just sort of ringing up work and saying, oh, sorry, lions again. (laughs) Can't come in today. And it's a bit of a favourite like pastime for Australians, in a way. It's a, it's a kind of an embedded thing to call in for the, the sickie, isn't it? To chuck a sickie. Uh, here's some crackers I found online. There we go. Homer Simpson to lead the way here. Somebody, this is what they said. I got my fingers stuck in a bowling ball. Can't come into work, sorry. I slept funny on my arms and they're asleep, so <laughs> I can't come into work. Or a cow broke into my house and I'm waiting for the insurance man. Sorry. Or this one, I enjoyed the details. I went to get the petrol, but I couldn't get the cap off because my hands are too moisturized, so I had to call my boyfriend to come and do it for me. I can't come into work. Sorry. Now, these attempts are pretty funny and pretty creative, all of them. And I think a lot of us have probably been in a situation where we've called in similar to that. But the reality of a lazy life, I think if you've been close to someone who has kind of gone down that path, or maybe for yourself, that has been a struggle for you. It's not a pretty thing. It's not a pretty thing. It's, it's devastating to watch, to see how someone's life can slowly become overgrown, as Proverbs says, as it becomes unhealthy, an unhealthy lifestyle for them, as this life of a sloth takes over. Now, we need to remember what Proverbs is saying here. It's not just saying, look, you need to have a paying job and you can tick the box for what it says about work. Well, Proverbs, it speaks to this mentality, this characterization of working diligently. Many of us might have a medical condition that actually might stop you from the work that you would love to do. Or for the many parents who stay at home, you know, who've gladly given up a paying job. Clearly, being a parent is a constant and a tiring job, one of the most important that we have. So even if you're someone currently out of a paying job, well, it'd be a great encouragement for you to to seek diligence even in that pursuit of work. That becomes your work, doesn't it? To, To look for work, to interview, to apply yourself there. Now, as we consider the temptation to slackness, we need to recognise that some of our workplaces, they can be really all about being lazy. You know, some workplaces, uh, I've certainly been in them before, where the kind of the morning tea break, the, um, the morning tea break goes double the time than what it should, or there's just not much accountability. So you can kind of get away with a lot in that workplace. 
Or even at home, if you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, maybe you struggle to, to be diligent when there's not many people around who can kind of help you and keep you accountable there. And we're in this constantly distracted culture, aren't we? We, we have these phones that can just take us anywhere. Laziness becomes easier and easier. So might we hear this stern rebuke today from the writer of Proverbs? Might we laugh with these Proverbs and see that that's not a lifestyle we want to follow after? Now today we've looked at the main problem which Proverbs shows us to do with work and it's that life of the sloth. But I wonder in our culture if we have another danger that for a lot of us might even be more more present in our lives on the other side of the spectrum. Actually that tendency to overwork, to idolise our work. And there could be all kinds of motivations for this. And maybe it's a greater sense of purpose there, which, which kind of distracts you from your personal life, from your home. Or maybe it's that constant drive for wealth to get more and more and more. Now, Proverbs 23 says, Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Stop giving your attention to it. As soon as your eyes try fly to it, it disappears. For it makes wings for itself and flies like an eagle to the sky. Riches ultimately are elusive. If we set our eyes on them and we covet them, they can easily fly away from us, out of our grasp. It's not worth wearing yourself out for such a transient result. Well, we've seen how diligence and ethical work, it pleases our Lord And we're warned not to neglect work or to work too much. So as we seek wisdom, how else can we redeem our work? In light of Jesus, how can we redeem our work? Well, we can remain diligent in our work as for the Lord. Colossians 3, it says, Don't work only while being watched, as people pleases, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. So as we power through another tiring day, might we serve as if we are truly serving God in that moment? All the while remembering that our work was unrelated to salvation. We're secure in our salvation. And for us, it's actually, I think, a bit probably clearer for us that our salvation is secure than some of the Old Testament believers who had the law, who had the sacrificial system, who had all of this work and this adherence to the law. But Jesus makes it really clear. He tells us, he says, that our work now is simply to believe in the one whom God has sent. Another way we can redeem our work, we can rest like we will for all of eternity. By resting well, we can Kind of prepare for an eternal rest. There's such a godly thing as godly sloth, godly laziness, which helps us long for that eternal home that we have. And the New Testament has a lot to say about rest. Alas, it's not the day to do it um, for us. But I hope every one of us can have good routines with rest and with hobbies, which we really love. We're in a city which I think can often overwork and become obsessed with our jobs. 
And we can stand out to them by simply slowing down. And Jesus, he reminds us, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? See, there's a great sweetness that comes with refreshment, with a tired body when you finally get to bed at the end of the day. And fatigue and exhaustion, they're actually gifts from God. An invitation for you to, to realize that you're not sovereign, you're not all-powerful, you're not the God of the universe. And in our weakness, we see God's power and we see his sovereignty as we rest. And our rest shouldn't just be kind of focused on creation like this person in the hammock. Matthew 11, Jesus invites us and he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, the best rest, the deepest recharge, comes from time spent with Jesus. Time spent in God's word, in prayer, on those days off. I hope you've had that experience recently. And Augustine says a similar thing. He says that our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in God. God intends for his creation to find their rest in him before they find it in the creation that he's given us. So now money. What does Proverbs say about money? What is the goodness of money that we see? In a culture obsessed with wealth and with fame, we need to hear what God might say about money. Proverbs teaches that it is better than poverty. There we go. Proverbs 10. A rich man's wealth is his fortified city. The poverty of the poor is their destruction. See, poverty isn't pretty. And I think as a church we, we get this. We have this partnership with compassion. We want to alleviate people's suffering in poverty. And God's word regularly teaches that we're to seek to help those in need, to alleviate their suffering. And I suspect for most of us here we've had a time in our lives, or maybe right now, you're really struggling with finances and you're really having a hard go at it. The cost of living, skyrocketing, it's understandable if you're feeling the pinch more than ever. And we groan in those moments and we have those anxious thoughts that start to kind of swirl in our minds about where the next um, bill would be paid from. And it's good to have enough that we're not stressed by the next bill. We don't have to keep watch of our account. And having been a student for so long, I worked it out the other day for a decade of my life. I was a student. I've, sur- I've, I've really seen these moments. And I've groaned in those moments when I just haven't quite had enough and waiting to see where it will come from. And maybe you can share your anxious thoughts with a friend and, and carry each other's burdens in that way, even today. Now, when we think of the rich in our world... We, we need to remember that money itself is actually a neutral thing. And money isn't evil by nature, but our hearts are. See, we're not ascetic people who just reject good gifts from God. And it says this in Colossians, you can see there. It says, do not handle, do not touch, do not taste. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. 
So we see there, the thing itself isn't actually the problem. It's, it's our hearts that are the problem, not money itself. And I was deeply challenged by this idea when I first moved to Sydney. Uh, so I was a student at uh, Watson's Bay Anglican Church. They, you can see it there uh, in a beautiful spot um, in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, one of, the, one of the richest parts of our country, really. And, you know, during the sermons, you could literally watch the sailing boats come through the harbour. You could watch the uh, Sydney to Hobart. Like, it was ridiculous. It was really great weekend spent there. But before I moved to Sydney, I don't think I really quite realised that I didn't think you could be a really super rich person and also be a mature Christian. I kind of hadn't met anyone like that. So I just thought that those two things didn't really compute. And I was really humbled in this church. <laughs> I got to meet people who had a lot of money, but man, they had a lot of passion for Jesus as well. And they used that money to support whole ministries. It was quite a rebuke, I think, to my own prejudice there. And they were gospel patrons who were a real challenge to me. And Proverbs, it helpfully reminds us of this too. That actually the rich and the poor, they're actually much more similar than different. Uh, you can see it in a, another proverb there, 22. The rich and the poor have this in common. The, the Lord made them both. It might seem like there's huge differences. We have the one creator. We're made just the same. So, so far we've seen that wealth that is actually better than poverty. But Proverbs says that wealth is nowhere as good as wisdom. Proverbs 3, it says, Happy is a man who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding, for she is more profitable than silver, and her revenue is better than gold. See, ultimate security can never come through cash, but only through wisdom, through Jesus. And it's perfectly fine to have a lot of money, and it is indeed a gift from God. Yet, what are some of the problems that Solomon shares when we have lots of money. Well, he, he spells it out for us. We can easily start to crave money itself. We can idolize it. It can just become everything to us. Proverbs 11. Anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. So it's so easy to have our hearts go after riches and what they can bring to us. We have so many options, particularly here in Australia, with so much extra money in our bank accounts. And Proverbs 21, the one who loves pleasure will become a poor man. Whoever loves wine and oil will not get rich. So if you idolize pleasure, you'll likely lose money. This is pretty spot on for our culture, I think. Australia, it's often described as a pleasure pain uh, culture, so a culture that is set on just finding happiness at all costs, so that pursuit for pleasure. I'm sure many of us here have felt that uh, drive within us, and it's really warned here that if we seek pleasure, it could actually become our ruin if we seek it ultimately. Now Solomon, he's not subtle about warning, uh, warning to us about coveting riches, coveting wealth, he says in Proverbs 23, When you sit down to dine with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you. Don't desire his choice food, for that food is deceptive. See, if you crave for riches, it can lead to your ruin. 
And while Proverbs teaches that poverty can result from laziness, we need to hold intention, right, with just the fact that we're in a, a broken world with suffering all around us. Poverty isn't always a result of laziness. That's, that's pretty clear, isn't it? In the New Testament, James 2, it speaks about how God chose the poor in this world to have a strong and mighty faith in Jesus. So we need to remember this as we kind of look at these Proverbs that speak about the relationship between diligence and wealth. But Proverbs does say, Proverbs 11, if someone puts up security for a stranger, he will suffer for it. But the one who hates such agreements is protected. And what's going on there is somebody would put up uh, security for a stranger and that's like co-signing for someone else. And I had to look this up because I was a bit confused myself. It means that they agree to pay someone else's financial obligation if the person, can or person can't or doesn't pay their debt. So if the person just goes, oh, they've already signed away over here. I don't need to pay my rent this week. Oh, I'll let them just pay, for, pay it for me. So it's not a very smart business deal is what's being described there. And, it, and it's a warning to us not to be foolish with our money, not to just throw it away at the first thing that comes along. Or you'll soon go broke. Don't make foolish deals is what we hear. On the flip side, if you are wise, we're told that riches are likely to become the result. Proverbs chapter 3. Honour the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled. But does Proverbs promise too much here? Can we really be sure that we'll become rich if we are wise? And in moments like this, it's kind of easy to see where prosperity theology can come from, right? From a, you know, a proverb like this, maybe you could take some of what's written to, in the Mosaic Covenant that's to a particular nation. Uh, you could take that out of context. You could take this proverb here. You could take what Jesus says about if you pray in faith, it will be given to you. You could take these things and lift them together and kind of smush it together and maybe come up with a prosperity gospel of health and wealth and prosperity. And some promises, well, they're partially validated in experience, aren't they? So the diligent person is more likely to, to have money. It kind of makes sense by logic. But even Proverbs itself, Solomon, he realises that often the wicked are the ones that get rich. Often the wicked get rich. And elsewhere in Scripture, we see the righteous often are poor, over and over again. And you can see an example in Proverbs where Solomon, he sees that the, the wicked are the ones who are actually prospering. Proverbs 11 is an example. It says, A gracious woman gains honour, but violent men gain only riches. So there's this understanding that, okay, it's not just the wise believer in God who is the one who will have money. So when we're thinking about this idea of money, how might we redeem it? As we think about Jesus and the rest of the New Testament, what it brings to us as we read Proverbs. Well, we've, today we've seen a great danger in idolizing money or pleasure. But one way to redeem it is by finding contentment in our situation and not craving for more. And there's a great example in Proverbs. We've got it coming up here. Uh, Proverbs chapter 30. It says two things. 
I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. That spells it out so helpfully, doesn't it? There are these two extremes and temptations amongst both options. And in heaven, we're going to have plenty, won't we? In heaven, we will have plenty more than we ever could imagine or need. And for us now, this might change how we actually think of riches. This might mean that we are slow to think about the promotion that's offered to us, to discern if it's wise, because a promotion will mean more of us. Can we give more of us to gain more in return? Or in 1 Timothy, Paul, he'll go on to say that if he simply has food and clothing, that he'll be content, and he hopes that for his audience as well. If he simply has food and clothing. See, redeeming money means finding contentment in what we have, whatever we might have. Another, um, I think, principle that we see in Scripture, how to redeem uh, money, is that generous, generosity is good for all. We see this in Proverbs and throughout Scripture as well. The Lord loves those who are generous, and particularly those who are generous to the poor. Proverbs 19. Kindness to the poor is a loan to the Lord, and he will give a reward to the lender. Money is a blessing from God, but it's far more of a blessing when we give it away to others. Generosity is this expression of someone who doesn't hope in wealth, but in God instead, trusts in God instead. I've got a close friend of mine who is stingy, <laughs> and everyone knows it, and he knows it. He's talked about it with me. Uh, I hope he, I think over time he's maybe coming to see it more and more, but he's the kind of guy that just won't recognize the cost of fuel, <laughs> uh, even with many, many, many trips uh, driven for him, or the cost of food even. Kind of the last person to, to shout the drink. Uh, not always quick to be kind or to be generous with his money. And it's, I think, really sad when I see that Christian person. Uh, I hope and trust that he might feel a bit more open to share and to be generous with his money. Also the kind of guy that kind of openly shares how much money he has. So I think it's a real challenge. And, and Proverbs kind of spells this out, that that kind of person, we don't want to be that kind of person, do we? And Jesus, he expanded on this idea he wants us to hold loosely to the things of this world and the wealth in this world. Matthew chapter 6, it says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. We're to hope in God, not in our riches. Focus our attention on pleasing Him rather than building our own kingdoms here. And throughout the New Testament, we see great examples of this. The Philippian church that support Paul in his ministry. And what a glorious reminder we have today from our Lord Jesus, that we have a better hope than riches in this world. In fact, we have an eternity spent with God in relationship with him in a land of plenty and a land of rest. I might pray giving God thanks for that eternal rest that we have. Let's pray together. Our dear Lord, we recognise that we often don't get it right. 
as we think about money and work. Uh, We're so prone to sin. Lord, we confess that before you. Do grow us. Do help us to learn from Jesus on these um, topics that are really regular in our lives. Uh, Please grow us to be diligent and grow us to be generous with our money. Might we reflect Christ in our lives and be a a light shining to the world. I pray all this in his name. Amen.